Welcome to the Move the Stairs podcast by the Denver-based public relations strategist at MNC Communications. We help clients from the CBD industry to nonprofits and beyond tackle their toughest communications challenges and protect their brand using our state-of-the-art tools and strategies. I'm president and founder, Diane Mulligan. For us, public relations is all about brand protection. We are experts in growing active communities, deflecting negative public relations, and building trust to help our clients stand head and shoulders above competitors. I'm Vice President Sarah Beatty. We're all former journalists. We've been in front of the camera and behind the scenes. We call our experience insider media relations, helping clients turn crisis communications and media relations challenges into opportunities that bolster the bottom line. And I'm PR manager Jordan Sherman. At MNC, we craft distinctive and effective solutions for your communications challenges. We call it our Move the Stairs philosophy. On this podcast, we share our best ideas for brand protection, crisis communications, media relations, and more. Let's get right to it. This week's Move the Stairs podcast. This week, we're talking about how you can uh, reclaim your brand's reputation, how you can reclaim it and repair it by de-escalating a negative PR situation. Yep, absolutely. And, and before we start, very quickly, I just want to say, let's all remember 9-11. Um, unfortunately, I was there uh, in New York, and uh, those people that died, we will never forget them. So just wanted to say that. Okay, we've got several 15-minute mini-conversations. Um, the first thing we want to do is talk to you about how you're going to assemble your strike team. Um, and this is going to be really important for who's going to handle the situation and can move quickly in any situation. And then at 15 after, we're going to talk about our three-pronged approach to tactfully reclaim your brand's message, which is going to be really important in any type of a crisis situation. So, um, and we've been through this um, with several clients and continue to go through it. So um, it's, it's really something that if you follow the steps, you're going to be able to do it because um, we've had great success and we think you will too. At 30 minutes after, we're going to talk about one of our real life examples and kind of walk you through what we did to repair that brand. Um, and then at the end of the hour, we're going to talk about the trust bucket and how you fill it and you refill it and what the heck is a trust bucket. But it's probably the most important thing we're going to talk about today. So please stay with us through the whole hour um, and give us your questions because we'd love to hear them. Yeah, I can confirm this is a jam-packed agenda here. I put it together and we were talking about it before the show. So if you have any questions, we're happy to get to those though. Jump in on Facebook or on YouTube. You can comment. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out on those feeds and we're happy to get back to you. And we also have a downloadable one sheet. Uh, it's available with every episode, but this one in particular is going to help you kind of lay out the strategies behind assembling who is going to be on your strike team, your crisis task force, so to speak. And you'll find that on our website here shortly after this video wraps up, mnccommunications.com. So this one sheet's going to help people quite a bit, Diane, but first, the Move the Stairs story. What is that all about? So remember, we always try to move the stairs in anything we do at MNC and in our personal lives. And the, the story very quickly 
is I was producing for a television station. I walked into a ballroom. Senator McCain was being reelected. We knew he was going to win. And in television journalism and broadcast journalism, whoever gets the interview first after the candidate gives his acceptance speech is the one who wins. And when I went up and I looked at the podium, the stairs were leading to my competition. I was completely on the wrong side. We were set up on the wrong side of uh, the podium. And so I went over. I saw that the stairs could be un un bolted i unbolted them moved them around i moved the stairs to my side so basically look at your situation see what life gives you and then be as creative as possible so that you can be as successful as possible and that's move the stairs so let's get right into this so if you recall last week we talked about reclaiming your message um especially if it's been hijacked which can certainly happen in in these times um, and sometimes you can, you know, iron out a communications call, uh, communications challenge with just a phone call or a conversation, and it goes. It's it's pretty easy. Sometimes it's much more serious, and that's what we're going to talk about today when it turns into a full blown crisis. Um, so remember, we have issues and we have crises. What we're talking about today are crises, and an issue is when you have a head a headache. Crises is when it's a heart attack. Um, you just have to make sure that sometimes you're not thinking the headache is a heart attack. That's key. But you need all hands on deck, and that's really important. And Sarah, what do you think about all hands on deck? Okay, so let's get into that concept just a little bit, because all hands on deck does not mean bring the entire company in and start planning, right? <laughs> Too many cooks in the kitchen. So um, when there's a crisis brewing, ideally you will have a crisis plan to lean on that you have already thought through. You've already got roles established. You've got um, messaging created. You've got you've thought through who says what and are they media trained and you know what would happen if you know those if then scenarios. Ideally, that's that's a great situation. Uh, but if you're just getting started on that, which many, many, many people are, many organizations are just getting started, you want to <clears throat> think about assembling a group of people, this strike force, you can call it what you want, um, your specialized group of decision makers who brand are going, team, right, Sarah? Your, your brand, brand protection team is a great title for it because that's what we're talking about is how to protect your brand from this. Right. And you are either refining what the roles are if you've already got a team you're defining what the roles are if this is a new team and you are going through with this team in in a um, work group kind of way um, so that everybody knows what their role is in a crisis and nobody's confused so start there it's okay if you don't have this you know predetermined or outlined um, in fact, you know, nobody wants to sit around and brainstorm, oh, what's the worst possible thing that could happen to my business or brand? Because then you become, you know, that person who may be coming off as negative when you're really trying to think ahead. But I digress. Nobody wants to make that decision. Uh, but MNC, part of our brand protection tool is we do that for you, right, Diane? Absolutely. You know, may not want to be that guy, but I'm going to tell you, I love being that guy because... <laughs> The truth is that when it hits the fan, and it will, I don't care who you are, I don't care what business you have, you're going to have significant issues. Sometimes you're going to have crises. If you walk through what we do with the brand protection tool, 
you're going to have, you're going to be like steps ahead um, and you're going to be able to figure out the top two or three threats that you need to be really focused on in the next six months to a year. So we're not going to waste your time on what about if this happens or what about, no, there's an actual scoring sheet that goes through so you can figure out what's the likelihood it's really going to happen. And is this something I wanna, really want to focus on? Because if I do something now, will it make it better? Will it mitigate the negative impacts going forward? And the answer is yes, it will. And you'll sleep better at night. So rent protection is really important. Thinking about crisis is really important. All right. Well, let's start off with these decision makers, Diane, because it's really important that your team, you keep it small because the smaller your team is, the easier it's going to be to communicate with you. And you're when you're looking at these individuals who are going to be on that, um, the brand protection team, you're probably going to start with your C-suite. Who's your CEO? Do you have a president of the company? Your COO? Uh, these people who are kind of the decision makers within the company, it's important to bring in a lawyer too, because anything that you put out there could potentially legally be used against you if you're in the midst of a crisis. And I think this is the part here where it's great to have all of these minds, but you don't necessarily want to have people doubling up on things. You've got to figure out who's going to sign off on the decisions, who's going to handle messaging for the crisis, who's going to handle strategy for the crisis, who's going to talk to the media if a crisis well, is this large, the media is probably going to be paying attention. Right. And one of the things that we cover in our insider media relations training is um, every media inquiry is an opportunity. So even though it might be, even though you might be in the middle of a crisis, even though this might be something that um, you don't necessarily want to uh, have the media calling you on the other end of that phone, every media inquiry is an opportunity. And here's what we mean by that. When you have a really calm, collected, compassionate spokesperson who can be the public face for your organization, for your brand, for your company, for your business, um, somebody who has been media trained, who can handle that media glare, right? Now, just in how you're handling the crisis messaging, you are starting to lay the groundwork for how you repair your long-term uh, credibility, how you refill that trust bucket. So think about things as you're planning with your strike team. Um, do you have a really well-trained media spokesperson or do you need to get someone trained? Does that person have a backup? Is your CEO trained? Is someone else Maybe somebody in operations who might need to speak to media at some point, um, you know, are they media trained? Are all of the people who may end up in front of the media uh, really well trained and able to handle that? Do you have emergency messaging prepared? Um, and this is something that you're doing ahead of time. There is no way that you're going to be able to prepare a press release for every possible scenario. But you can set up what we call dark releases, which are very short sort of Swiss cheese releases that can be updated quickly with information as you have it and then can be distributed. So do you have that material ready? Do you have your messaging prepared? Um, do you have, uh, you know, have you thought through all of these materials, including social media materials? Um, so do you have everything ready to go um, 
and your folks are prepared so that you're not stepping out there, deer in the headlights, trying to face that media glare. And, um, you know, you run the risk of not being calm, collected, compassionate, and having a really consistent, clear message going forward. So one thing to think about here is whether you tier your uh, spokesperson response. And Diane, tell people what, what that means, a tiered response. Well, a tiered response basically means that you don't put out your CEO immediately. I also want to say here that when we're talking about messaging, you should be messaging your employees first. That's huge. Don't let them get their information from the media. So if the media calls, think about those employees and what information you have to get to them. The first thing in the tier is a very short and sweet statement that you acknowledge that is an issue going on. You are not taking blame for the issue. You are not saying what's happening, but you acknowledge that it's going on. You show that you know what's going on. If there is a compassionate side to it, if people have been hurt, you're always going to start with how sorry you are that whoever has been impacted has been impacted, but you kind of stop there. And then you say, and we are now looking into this and we will get back to you with what we have found out and our next steps as soon as possible or in 15 minutes or in 30 minutes, but you have that short statement. That's really important to get out there to say, yes, we do know about it. We are working on it and we take this very seriously. But most of all, if somebody was hurt, we are so sorry that somebody got hurt, no matter what the situation is. We just don't want that to happen. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, your brand reputation team is working to figure out what the messages should be. So Sarah talked about that Swiss cheese release. When we talk, talk about Swiss cheese, you know, it has the holes in it. So you're going to write the release with the holes in it, and you're going to be able to just fill in the holes with, this is what we know, this is what happened, this is when we're going to get back to you. You're done. That's it. But now you're working on talking points. You're talking to your spokespeople. And remember, you must have at least two. I cannot tell you the number of times, even in news, where I had disasters happen and somebody's grandmother had passed away and somebody else was getting married and they were two integral people to our to how we were going to handle the situation. Um, and I had a really good backup for one and I had a semi-good backup for the other. Um, and the semi-good backup, man, it bit me. It bit me big time. So you want to make sure you have at least two people ready. Plus, if it's going to become an ongoing crisis, you want to figure out how you can get that that spokesperson sleep, get them time to eat, um, get them, you know, somebody working on the outside, helping them. It's so important because they need a break um, and they have to be up and they have to be really with it when they're in front of the media or even when you're in front of your employees. So you want to think about who that person is. The other thing that I would think about um, is that if it if this crisis continues to escalate, if you started with a spokesperson and you haven't put your CEO out there, then I would think about as it escalated, then possibly involving my CEO um, and doing it in a way that it was it showed how we are taking this problem very seriously and that the CEO is now coming out. And that's a very delicate situation, especially now because you hear all the time, oh, we didn't even hear from the CEO because they must not care. 
You have to really be careful with that. But at the same time, if you do it right, it can absolutely reinforce how much you care about the situation. Um, so saving those top level executives. The other thing is if you have a larger company and you have different groups of employees reporting to different people, the people who they report to should be the ones who are giving the messaging to the employees. That also helps, all the messaging should be the same, but it also helps distribute some of that time around because you are going, your spokesperson is going to be exhausted quickly because you have the stress and you're out there and you're talking to the media and you're taking on all the stuff and you're writing messages and you're going back and you're thinking about what worked and what didn't and all that. It's, it's hugely draining. So to have that second person, really, really important. That's a great point. So let's get into um, who should be on this brand protection team or your crisis strike force. Um, so far, we've talked about your final decision maker, your CEO, um, you know, your spokespeople. You very well may need a, a good attorney here um, or, you know, if you have uh, internal corporate legal, uh, absolutely those folks should be involved. Uh, but we're going to walk through an example from actually in one of our uh, award winning crisis communications campaigns. And just to so that you can kind of see how many different people might need to be involved in a uh, brand protection team. So we helped a city that uh, had gotten word that Westboro Baptist Church was going to picket at the local high school. And there was, you know, some threats of violence and, you know, First Amendment issues. And there was a whole lot going on. So it was a very complicated situation. And can I say that, that there was no threat of violence from Westboro. We had to be very careful how we say that. Westboro did not threaten violence in any way, shape, or form. No, but and they never, violence. yeah. But the whole situation, yeah, was a very volatile situation. So the city called us for help, and they we helped stepped in and helped organize um, all of the different people and the different teams that needed to be uh, involved in the planning for this. And for that situation, it looked like the mayor, the city administrator, the city attorney, the police department, two different sheriff's departments, the principal of the school, the, all of the top level school uh, staff, um, the school district official, the school district attorney, um, spokespeople, and all the way down to um, public works because public works had to set up, they had to close roads and they had to set up free speech zones. Um, and included the teachers and bus drivers because the bus drivers needed to know where am I going to take the kids in event something happens. So we had to help organize all of that uh, communication with all of those team members because every last person there needed to be involved in this plan. So there's no hard and fast rule, you know, on the on the one sheet, uh, which is actually for today because there's a lot going on. Um, we say that there are six positions in your brand protection team. It might be six. It might be 16. It might be two. You know, it it depends. But the really critical point is that you need to think through how many people need to be involved in planning for these particular scenarios to make sure that this is well thought out, very clear, and that all of the different pieces are, are represented at the table as we're planning this. So that's how you start to build a plan to reclaim your brand's message and refill the trust bucket. So let's talk about what that looks like in action. And actually, I'm amazed that we're still even on time, guys. We're, we're pretty close <laughs> to time. We have so much to get through today. So we have a three-pronged approach to really help you reclaim, tactfully reclaim, 
your brand's message. Um, and the responsibility of the of the brand protection team is to take control of the situation. Just really calm everybody down. You want people to know you've got this. Yes, it's a difficult situation, but you're there and you've got it. Um, you also want to provide practical or um, accurate information, right, for all the organization's audiences. Remember, first, always employees, but then the employees are going to be watching what's on the media. You want those two things to match. It's going to be really important. And you want to start thinking about that trust bucket that we started talking about, because when it's all over, you're going to have to refill it. Um, often you'll start with social media. After I would say, whether you have a phone tree or you have something to really talk to those employees with, um, maybe it's a closed Facebook page because you could start one of those very quickly and get information out that way. Maybe you have a text, um, a text app already for like snow closures and that type of thing. That's another great way to talk to your employees and get them to maybe a special page on your website. You want to think about that. But for social media, which is now pretty much going to be public, you're going to start there. Um, and you want to make sure that you've already established an official social media Twitter page because Twitter is going to probably be your best place to go. And think about who has access to that login. Do you have the messaging ready to go? If you've done the brand protection work, yes, you do. And that's great. And again, you're going to put up that statement that says, we know it's happening and we're working on it. We're going to get back to you just as quickly as we can with more information. Um, and then we're going to think about the different channels, Jordan. How would you use the different social media channels? Well, I think we should start with Facebook here because that still has the most amount of daily users. And I, I, I don't think that's going to change for quite no. some time. <laughs> TikTok is uh, uh, rocking and rolling, but you're not going to use TikTok here when you're dealing with a crisis situation. Um, Facebook, it's a great place to start as you're trying to get some information out to the public. But what you need to avoid here is sounding superficial. And you may mean it, but the online mob is very, very unforgiving. So you have to be really careful about what you're putting out there as you're trying to address a crisis that's happening right now. And also, if you're like any other company, you probably have scheduled content across your Facebook page. Got to shut those down because you right. don't need a, a big sale going out uh, when you're trying to address a crisis situation because it's just it's another blemish on uh, your, your brand's reputation. Sarah, what about Twitter? Well, here's what we know from our insider media relations um, training and experience. Uh, the media is on Twitter. So all of the rest of us are sharing cat photos and what we had for lunch on Facebook and Instagram. The media are on Twitter and that's where they are finding about breaking news events. Um, it's where they're talking to each other. It's where they are monitoring uh, municipalities and companies. So this is why, Diane, you said just a minute ago, Twitter's the place to be. And this is what we recommend, especially for our municipal clients, that um, cities in particular have a, an emergency Twitter channel. It could be the police department. It could be just an emergency handle. And then, Jordan, like, like you just said, if you, um, then it makes it very easy because you have a pre-produced message where you say, uh, and you post it on your other social media channels. So Facebook, Instagram, whatever else. This channel is not going to be monitored during insert name of crisis here um, for updated accurate information and for a channel that will be monitored 24 seven, go to our Twitter channel at, and then you put in the link to the Twitter channel. 
So that way you're cutting down the number of places where the media uh, feel like they can um, reasonably access you so that you can be very clear, do not reach out to us on Facebook because you will not get a response and we will not publish uh, updated information about this issue on Facebook. Go to Twitter and that's where you're gonna find things so that you really narrow it down to one channel and that's the channel where the media are gonna be so that's the channel where you need to be. And I would do the same thing with Instagram. I think I would just say, put a, a, a pin and a post at the top that says, we have, we are not going to be posting right now for all information. Please go to our Twitter page because Instagram is going to be very important when you start to rebuild your reputation. And that's what we mean by refilling the trust bucket, where you're really talking about yourself again and you're, and you're taking your brand and you're expanding your brand. But during the crisis, that's not the time to do so I would do the same thing on Instagram and on LinkedIn, I would probably use LinkedIn only for my CEO. Um, and if my CEO, if we had bumped it up and my CEO wants to have a comment. So uh, I'm thinking about the Marriott CEO during COVID. It's such a wonderful video and they posted it on LinkedIn. That was the appropriate place for him to speak at that time. You could then take, um, take little snippets of that and put that on Twitter and then say for the whole thing, you can go over to LinkedIn. That would make a lot of sense. And also you could put that on your website and on your YouTube page, but LinkedIn again, during the crisis is not the place to be posting information um, unless it's from the CEO and it's a message to employees and to, or to the public. That would make sense to me. And then um, after the crisis is over and you're starting to rebuild then absolutely you're going to use LinkedIn all the time. I think, too, it's important to talk about more traditional media. Social media is kind of the first place we go when we hear breaking news happen because our journalist brains instantly go to Twitter, but people will go to Facebook who aren't journalists necessarily to see what people are um, saying about what's happening in the world. But we can't forget traditional media either. What do we mean by that? Television, newspapers, radio. Now, keep in mind, if you're dealing with a crisis scenario, it's going to take a lot more than one live interview on TV or one news article to completely um, you know, repair the, the tarnished reputation that your brand has sustained. It's going to take a lot more than that to refill the trust bucket. But these are great opportunities, Sarah, as you pointed out earlier in the discussion, uh, for journalists to tell your side of the story. Journalistic integrity requires that both sides of the stories are represented in any news report that's put out there. Otherwise, it's an editorial. Well, and what we teach in insider media relations training is um, how to prepare. So being successful here, particularly in a crisis situation, is not just preparing beforehand. So your messaging and your media training and all of that. You want to prepare before each and every interview. So if you get a call from a television reporter um, and the television market has really changed. So it, it, that's you have to kind of have a, a different concept about um, that audience. So television used to be the absolute biggest audience. If you went on TV and said, here's exactly what happened and here's what we're doing about it. And, you know, we're we're really on top of the situation. You you um, could be forgiven for thinking that you've reached most people. Um, but television has changed a little bit so that if you go on and you've got an interview on, say, the morning show, you might reach 12,000 people. But as soon as that um, story, that interview that you did gets posted online, you might be reaching 2 million people, 
right? So then the station might take that and then they might, because all of the stations have that like instant alert. And so somebody interested in this particular thing might get an instant alert. And so now somebody's getting it over their phone, right? Or it's being rewritten from uh, your live interview. And now they're um, writing it just into a print article that's still published now as a second article online. So you can see what we're saying here about why your messaging needs to be so clear and so consistent and conversational because it can potentially get um, you know, transcribed or turned into two or three or four different pieces of content from your initial interview. And so that's why it's so important to, you need to know the name of the person you're talking to, you need to do your research, you need to know um, you know, is this an investigative reporter? Is this just breaking news? Is this like the brand new person who doesn't even know who your company is? You need to have that research um, and and be really ready to go and make sure that your messaging is so clear and so consistent um, right from the get go, especially for TV because of all those changes. You know, the other interesting thing is I have Facebook up all the time and I'm constantly getting live shots national stories over in the side where um, CNN is going live and they put it up on their page, but it pops up on my page. So if it's a big enough issue that this has national implications, you need to know that your messaging isn't just for your local media. What you're saying could be going out over social media to a national audience at any point of the day. So you want to, that's just something to keep in mind, not to scare you, but more to have that back of your head, along with our MNC3. Um, and so the remember, if, if you don't know who the MNC3 are, you must know who the MNC3 are. Go to our blog page and you'll go through the MNC3, really important. Print reporters are, is, they're very different. So first off, there's a different personality. There's a different psychology um, to broadcast reporters and print reporters. Um, and I'm going to generalize a bit, but print reporters are more introverted. When you're talking to a television reporter, they have a very short amount of time to get their story on the air. So you got three minutes when you're doing your interview. When you're talking to a print reporter, be prepared for them to ask you all kinds of questions and to dig deep because that's what they do. That, that's who they are. It's a very different animal. It's, it's almost... I mean, it's truly, while they're both reporters, they're day and night. When you talk to a print reporter, you're going to slow down your speech a bit. You're not in such a hurry to, to get out your story because you're going to want to let them ask those questions and really dig deeper and get into the nitty gritty. So that's really important. Um, in a crisis situation, they're still going to want the, the top information, just like the broadcast reporter. So that's really important. But be prepared for them to start digging down into the weeds because that's what they do. They have a little bit more time to write their piece sometimes. Um, but I can say that most of the print reporters I know now have to file by three o'clock. So when you get a request, look at the clock and you'll know how fast you're going to have to work with that reporter because it's going to be really important. Um, if it's an ongoing issue, like an investigation, an oil spill, something like that, the print reporter is going to have a lot of time to do research on your organization. So you're going to get questions all over. So have your people ready to get you the information that you need, or are you the right person at that point 
do you have the expertise to really talk to that reporter? Really important. Um, again, as, as Sarah said, you wanna know the background of that reporter. Whoever you're working with that's helping you prepare for interviews should be looking at the last three to five articles, get a feel for the tone, get a feel for how dig they deep, how, how deeply they dig. That's a little better. How deeply they dig. Um, their point of view. What is their newspaper's point of view? Because that's now an issue and we know that. Um, and at a minimum, minimum, I always ask them, what do you really want to get out of this article so that I can prepare for you? So when you get the, get the request, you're not going to do the interview right then. You are going to call that person back because you want to be able to do your research so you understand who they are. And when you get that initial call, ask that specific question. What angle are you going for? What are you trying to get out of this so I can make sure I can get the best information for you? And that's going to help you. And ultimately, you won't waste their time and they won't waste your time. And you'll know if you need to bring other people in. And you'll, again, look extremely researched, um, extremely credible. Um, and it will, making their life easier, believe me, is going to make your life easier. So the last of the three prongs, as we talked about, are, so we talked about social, we talked about traditional. Now we're going to talk about your employees because your employees, and, and probably I would move your employees up to first. Because again, you do not want your employees getting any information in a crisis from the media. There is nothing that will turn them off more. So you really want to talk about um, what's going on as much as you can. They're on the inside. So hopefully they're already in your corner on this, but not always. And what you don't want to do is foster any kind of distrust or anger with them. So they have to be elevated to it was important for you guys to know first and every time i'm in a crisis that's what we think about and then again who do they look up to in the organization have that person be the spokesperson just talking directly to those employees that's going to help you as well jordan um this is where we talk a little bit about your chain of command right and the trade oh we talked about trade publications i apologize i i went right over that talk a little oh bit no about that's that's okay. We were running a little heavy on time, so I figured you uh, just skipped over that. I was going to mention that we could include that in the article, but you have been kind of beating the drum, Diane, on keeping your employees informed during this entire conversation because they're the lifeblood of your company. Right. Um, it, it, it's like when a coach on a professional sports team, you sometimes you hear the uh, you know you hear the phrase they have lost the locker room means that their players no longer believe in them. You cannot have that for your company anytime, but particularly in a crisis scenario, my goodness, you need to have their back and they need to have your back too. I think that's exactly the right phrase. If you know, you can't lose the locker room and making sure that you've got your employee communications. I mean, I think that that's something that gets left out of a lot of, of um, crisis plans is, yeah, you know, make sure that you've got somebody who can communicate. And it could be questions like, should I report to work today? Mm -hmm. You know, should I come in? They may have questions. I mean, unfortunately, with COVID, what we just found out is, hey, I'm going to be on furlough. Do I still have health insurance? Exactly. So, right, This is these are some of the things that we've helped clients walk through uh, in terms of communicating to their um, to their employees. 
So I, I think that, that that locker room phrase, don't lose the locker room, is, is, is really key. And what we're kind of talking about here is, again, laying this groundwork for reputational repair. And um, we're going to talk about that again next week. Um, well, I mean, all of this falls under the, the umbrella of brand protection, which is our specialty. That's what all of this um, leads to, is protecting your brand. And next week, we're going to talk about how to plan PR for a massive event. Um, hopefully, it's a great event. Maybe it's it's something awesome. You know, you're going to open a whole new, you know, wing of a hospital or uh, something exciting is going to happen. It could certainly be, um, uh, you know, a crisis plan as well. So all of this kind of dovetails uh, to work together in your planning for uh, brand protection. But we want to walk through now a real life example of brand reputation, brand protection, and brand repair. And Diane, this is another award-winning um, campaign that frankly, we've been working on for, well, a number nine of years. years. Yeah. yeah, nine years now we've been working with Rocky Fork Growers Association. So if any of you know about the Rocky Fork cantaloupe, if you're in Denver, you absolutely know about it. If you're in Kansas, you know about it. If you're in North Mexico, you know about Chicago, it. Chicago, yeah. So. This cantaloupe um, ha is some of the sweetest cantaloupe that's out there. It's actually measured. I mean, we can say by research that it's some of the sweetest yep. cantaloupe you can buy anywhere in the country. And people wait for it every year. In fact, at the time that the crisis happened, they've been buying it for 125 years. Lucille Ball required it that it be in, for those of you who know who Lucille Ball is. Um, <laughs> no, you not. <laughs> she required that in season, that it was in her dressing room anytime that she went out on stage. That's how big Rocky Ford Cantaloupe was. So, but in September of 2011, um, there was a, the deadliest at that point, the deadliest listeria outbreak ever in our country. Um, more than 30 people died. Um, they lived in 18 states. Um, more than a hundred people, more than a hundred people got sick. I mean, it was a big deal. And the label on that cantaloupe said Rocky Ford. Turns out it had nothing to do with Rocky Ford. But when those farmers woke up, and it's the end of the season when they wake up to see the media reporting this, that the CDC had had um, said it was Rocky Ford. It's actually written as Rocky Ford cantaloupe in a lot of the CDC publications. They were horrified. 125 years, there'd never been anything that made anybody say, oh my gosh, people were dying. If you can imagine... Your business has, you think your business has caused people to die. I mean, there were farmers who said, I will never farm again. And, mm -hmm. and everybody was horrified. And Rocky Ford is this teeny, tiny town in southeastern Colorado. And it is the farmers that have been there have been there for four and five generations. So there's this history and pride, but they had never really done any work. To, to go out and say, this is who we are and this is what we do for safety. It was all about the taste of the cantaloupe. And so what turned out happened is that the cantaloupe came from 60 miles away in Holly, Colorado. The, the farm there used the, used the name Rocky Ford because it hadn't been trademarked. It was not protected, talking about brand protection. And um, it had nothing to do with the town of Rocky Ford, the farmers in Rocky Ford, but nobody knew that for almost two months. And that's when we were brought on. So Sarah, Marilyn, what do we do? 
Yeah, that's an example of of your brand, right? Your business, your reputation being dramatically negatively impacted through no fault of your own. And that's exactly what happened here. Um, You know, but at this point now, you can't control what's happening. You can't control, you know, what's coming at you, but you can control your response. And that's the very first step toward laying the groundwork toward repairing your your reputation. Now, hopefully you've done the work to fill your trust bucket first. So people know who you are, the precautions you take, um, they they trust you, they know who to call and talk to to get more information. Um, So hopefully you've done that first. Rocky Ford Growers Association has certainly done that over the last 11 years, but they hadn't done that at the time. And that's when MNC got called in um, to to manage that situation and then create that reservoir of trust and goodwill to draw on um, going forward. So, you know, that's that's how we got called into this situation in the first place. And I remember this story um, quite well because I was just in my infancy of my you know journalism career. I was in my first job in Grand Junction. So this was a big, big story. Um, it, we were running it every single day, and it had a bit of a ripple effect, too, because uh, just east of Grand Junction is Palisade. And there, if you're from Denver, you know Palisade very well. They're Palisade known for their peaches. peaches. Exactly. So we were asking the question, oh, my gosh, if this could happen in eastern Colorado, how are we doing locally in Grand Junction and throughout the Grand Valley to protect um, protect produce from running into these types of issues. So it was raising all sorts of questions, um, not only in Eastern Colorado and nationwide, because it was a nationwide story, but it was it was impacting other parts well, of inter- agriculture in Colorado it was too. An international story. I could not yeah. believe how fast because of and and you have to remember back in 2011 the web still wasn't what it is today, but mm-hmm. it was international. It was crazy. So, so what did you guys do? Yeah. So you can imagine, you know, you were talking about, you went and talked to the farmers, the Palisade farmers, mm-hmm. state of Colorado. This was so serious. The state of Colorado took their name off of all other types of produce. So onions happened to be coming in season. Potatoes started to be coming in season and all of Colorado's names because the umbrella effect. So this was not, and this happens so often is that something you had the Olathe sweet corn. That's a big exactly, one too. Exactly. Something can happen in your industry that has nothing to do with you, but that negative feeling, that negative connotation then happens to everything surrounding and you get caught up in it. So again, another reason for brand protection and for thinking about how do I build my brand now? How do people know who I am as a as a business owner, as a company, what I stand for now? Because it doesn't have to be your company that has the crisis. And that's one of the big things that, that we learned. Um, and that it's no one at that point wanted to be associated with Rocky Fork Cantaloupe and no one wanted to be associated with Colorado Produce. Well, and so the very first thing that MNC did at that point, um, working with the state, the Department of Ag, and then there were a number of agencies involved, 
the very first thing that that MNC did was to media train the farmers. So there were eight family farms, multi-generational family farms. So really wonderful story and wonderful people. And the very first thing that 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 you do is make sure that everybody is media trained so that they can, you know, withstand that glare and those questions. And um, you know, you can you can through all of the really frustrating questions so that they can respond well. And so that you can start to put a face, you know, to the name so that you could say, look, you know, here's, here are the facts, here's the truth, here's the information that I can tell you and share with you. So media well, training was the first step. was the first thing. And actually the state even went in before we were hired and started working with the farmers. Really teaching them how to tell their story and, and teaching them how to exhibit the pride that they had and the care that went into it. When we were brought on, the first thing we did was we, contact, we uh, contacted Colorado State University because they have a phenomenal um, food research lab up there. And we started talking to them about what are the best practices for people to do at home. Meanwhile, the farmers built a million dollar, they call it the shed, which makes me laugh, but a million dollar, a million dollar shed. Yes, a million dollar shed facility. Um, again, working with universities around the country to make sure that they had best practices. So even though they had nothing to do with this, they invested a million dollars in making sure that their produce was as safe as possible. So once we had the research and things were moving forward, now we have a story, a really good story to tell with facts, with information, with things that aren't. So you want to take the humanization of this, of who are the farmers and the pride in the 125 years and the fourth and fifth generations. And you couple that with, and look what they did, even though they didn't have to. They never said it wasn't us. What they said was, we want to be as good as we were already good, but how do we take this to the next level? And then with CSU, we knew that in this crisis, many times a crisis is a loss of control. People feel that they have lost control of something in their life. In this situation, they lost control of the safety of the cantaloupe, what they were bringing home and feeding to their kids. So we worked with CSU and said, what can people do at home? so that that can give them an even added sense of control. And so we came up with the way that you clean your cantaloupe and the way that you scrub your cantaloupe and why do you scrub your cantaloupe this way and all the things that go along with that. And that actual action, giving somebody an action in a crisis, something to do that helps them regain that sense of control is incredibly important. Well, and then we got busy on story pitching, but what I wanna be really clear about here is this was not that year, right? You know, the following year, the story pitching was on, look at what they've done. Look at all of the precautions and the safety mechanisms. Right. Because it happened the, at the end of their season, right? So they had yeah. some time um, to, to really prepare so that we could get started, right? Right. So this, you know, this was a long-term thing. And, and so in the intervening years, we've been able to move this message now forward with, with uh, a lot of really interesting and different things. Um, also, actually, a couple of award-winning campaigns on a cantaloupe beer. There were two seasons of a great cantaloupe beer. Mm, and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jordan's like, I'm all over that. But, you know, now we're starting to talk about different things. And we really drove home that um, family farming message 
Also, we got wonderful traction with technology, the use of technology in that million dollar shed. Um, you know, this amazing technology of where they pick the, the little personal watermelons and they go in this conveyor and they're popped out by weight so that they can sort them by weight. So millions of, of watermelons come in and get quickly sorted in the watermelon shed by weight. Um, you know, the technology of sub-inch farming and, um, you know, very careful conservation of resources and water. All of those became really uh, effective um, earned media mechanisms that drove that message that these are your neighbors, your friends, these are family farmers, these are multi-generation farms that, um, and, and, you know, one of their phrases is, we eat what you eat. Right. So we feed our kids what you feed your kids. We take this so seriously. And here are these, um, you know, story angles that uh, that resonate with with uh, their consumer audiences. The other thing we did was we made sure that we got other people with credibility to back us up. So the governor was involved and ate cantaloupe mm -hmm. on air. Um, the department the head of the Department of Public Health was involved and ate um, cantaloupe on air. The, the head of the Department of Agriculture got involved. Then we had top chefs from all over um, Denver develop recipes and actually serve Rocky Ford cantaloupe in their restaurants and call it out on their menus. Again, reinforcing the credibility and saying, this is a great product and I believe in this product. So it wasn't just the farmers saying it, it was bringing in those third parties who had credibility to really bolster the message. I'm sorry, Jordan, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, so you're not just saying this stuff, it happened overnight. It wasn't us, happened overnight, you know, everything's better. This is years and years and years of work that you both put into this and working with RFGA and dignitaries and the farmers themselves in the state. Uh, all of these things help to refill the trust bucket. And it's a word that, you know, we've mentioned quite a bit in this discussion, Diane. So what is the trust bucket for people who may not be familiar with that? It's really an analogy. Think of a bucket um, that you fill with water and every day you put a little bit more in and it gets higher and higher and higher. Uh, and then something happens, somebody kicks it. Somebody kicks the bucket and all of a sudden <laughs> the water sloshes out. That's your crisis. So if you didn't have any water in your bucket to start with, your bucket's going over. You are kicking the bucket. So it's really important that you start to fill this bucket with information about you, who you are, who your company is, what it stands for, the good things that you do. You know, people are like, I don't need to tell people that. Yes, you do. And again, the crisis may not be anything that has anything to do with you. Rocky Ford Growers Association, those Rocky Ford farmers had nothing to do with this. And how many times do we see big stories happen? You know, you Jordan says, we immediately went to the Palisade farmers. Well, now do I have to worry about peaches? I mean, that's what you have to think about if that story comes up, because now you're associated with a deadly outbreak of mm -hmm. hysteria. Again, the Palisade Peach people had nothing to do with it, but where did the media go? They're localizing the story. So if you're a yep. farmer, you know they're coming. You better have something in your trust bucket so people can remember, oh, yeah, that, those are the beet farmers, and they're really good at this. And, and, and so they're just talking about what's going on. And it's an opportunity. then it's an opportunity, and it's not something that's going to be an issue or a crisis for you. 
Well, and the thing to keep in mind is that the trust bucket is it's a little bit like a, a reputational bank account. So you That's can true. draw on it. So if your bucket as RFGAs now is full right up to the top, people know them, they trust them, they uh, recognize those family names, they recognize that sticker, they know that it's got the QR code, you can track it from seed to uh, table, That's you know, so cool. all of that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, it's really cool. Go to their website or Rocky for growers association, growers and you can like find all that stuff, but that's what a full trust bucket looks like. So they, you know, they've got that a lot of reputational trust. And what happens when you have this reputational trust is that when something comes along to, you know, threaten to knock over your bucket, um, now you have a crowd of people who go, hey, wait a minute, I know those folks and I know their process and I know their systems. And you know what? I, th those are those are good people and this is an OK thing. And so now you've created advocates, right? People who can pop up and, you know, they're kind of your flank. They're on each side saying, no, these are good people and this is a good company and this, they do good work and they, you know, if there's something wrong, they're going to fix it. I have trust that they're going to fix it. Um, and so that's what the value is. Give them the benefit of the doubt and hear yeah. what they have to say instead of this automatic jumping to, oh, you're that kind of a person or you're that kind of a company or you must have done that. And how judgmental has the public become at this point based on wherever you're, you know, whatever you think, wherever you fall on the spectrum, um, judgment is huge right now. There's so little benefit of the doubt, but that trust bucket will help give it to you. So how do you take an empty trust bucket, to use your words, Diane, if your brand has kicked the bucket, um, <laughs> <laughs> you gave some very specific uh, examples, you and Sarah both did, but let's just kind of broaden this out for people who aren't, you know, farmers or, and are dealing with a crisis. How do you start to refill that from empty without kind of coming off as superficial? Absolutely. You know, we talk about the four C's, clear, concise, conversational, and the biggest C, compassion. Make sure that your messaging constantly meets the criteria of the four C's. And that consistency thing, that the consistency is probably, I'd say compassion's first, but consistency is second because people need to see you over and over again because there's so many people messaging out there. You're just getting bombarded. So you want to make sure you have a very specific target audience where you are really building those advocates, those people, that community, that cares and wants to get to know more about you so that if something happens, they're going to be there standing with you um, and saying, let's hear what they have to say at least um, because it's so very, very important. Um, so Sarah, it looks like, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for I, compassionate, I think is, is the critical thing. And we're, we, you know, we've talked about this guys, I don't know, every single week for three months, uh, because we are all kind of up to here right now with everything that everyone is dealing with, um, you know, with COVID and kids in the house and illness and sickness and, and job loss and all of the things that are going on. So compassionate sounds like, first and foremost, you acknowledge the suffering. So for Rocky Ford, even though they had nothing to do with it, um, 
Imagine how icky it would have felt for them to come out and say, well, this wasn't our fault. We had nothing to do with it. That's not, that's not compassionate. Um, so they came out and said, gosh, this is really upsetting. This is, we are so sorry that this happened. And um, here's what we're doing uh, to make sure that you know that we have earned a 125-year perfect safety record. Here's how we've done it. That's how you message compassionately. Um, and and that's going the extra mile, right? We worked with CSU. We came up with a way that you can actually clean the cantaloupe as well. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking that, um, and I just wrote it in one of our posts, that when I saw the most compassion was 9-11. When we were driving mm -hmm. across the country and coming back, um, any place we stopped, especially if they knew that we had just come from New York, People were like, what can we do? What, I mean, it's that, and that's the feeling. We don't see a lot of that right now, unfortunately. Um, so when you're as a business compassionate and compassionate can also say, I want to hear your side of a story. I want to, you know, if you're with all the cultural changes that we've talked about, compassion is saying, I may not have all the answers. Let me listen to what you have to say. I may or may not agree with you after I listen, but I'm listening. That's compassion. So everything that you're doing has that sense of compassion in it, that no one is automatically wrong, um, that, yes, you care that somebody is hurting. It doesn't matter whether you caused it or not. Somebody's hurting. Something is causing their lives to be disrupted in some way. You really are sorry that that happened. And that's the tone. That's what we mean about compassion when you're talking about or we know this is happening to you. You may have a solution for you. That's not selling. That's compassion, especially if you're careful with how you do that. And that's so important. And I think it's a lost art in many cases. And if you can regain that with your business, that trust bucket is just going to fill up very, very quickly. Well, and I think one really critical piece here is um you know, say you did do something wrong. Say your company really biffed it somehow. Yep. Um, you know, somehow you have to get out there and compassionately sort of stand in the force of, of what's coming at you and say, yes, I hear you. I, and I'm listening and I understand. And here's what we're doing to, to, to mitigate this. And somehow you have to do it. This is where media training, insider media relations comes in. Um, you have to do it because this is not about you personally. This is where Tony Hayward went wrong talking about his vacation. It's not about you, Tony. It's not about you personally, exactly. You know, and because he did so very, very well uh, with all of that media spokesperson and all and of his. You're talking about the BP oil spill, right? The BP oil spill. Like he was on it. Like there couldn't have been anybody better until there wasn't. And, and it was because part of that was he was alone. They did yeah. not have a backup media person. They did not have now. Maybe he chose that they wouldn't have a backup spokesperson. But I think so many of the missteps were literally weeks into the event. And that at that point, he was exhausted because the media, especially if it's an international event, it's 24-7. It does not stop. Your phone does not stop ringing. And, and there was no one else speaking. Could that have been his issue? Could have been. I have no idea. But that's why you always have to have that backup because yeah. you need somebody who is refreshed 
and can think fast on their feet and isn't just so exhausted that whatever's happening here is just coming out of their mouth. Yeah. And that's Jordan really kind of where this, the, the planning comes in, right? This brand protection team that we're talking about. Exactly. You know, this is where you're looking to those people in your C-suite. You're looking at the brand protection team. You've already assigned your roles so that you can carry out that three-pronged approach. You're talking to your employees, you're using social media, you're using traditional media, and it's not all falling on one person to make that decision. You've successfully delegated everything that you need to do when dealing with this crisis, and now you're ready to move. You're ready to put that plan in action and refill that trust bucket over time. So we're just about to the top of the hour. So I hope you guys have really enjoyed this. We always enjoy talking about this because I just want to say Rocky Ford Cantaloupe sold out at a premium price that first year and has every year since. So imagine what they came back from. I mean, at one point, markets were not even going to carry it. That's how bad it was. And yet it was turned around. It was turned around because those farmers worked their tails off. They did what they needed to do. They told their stories. They worked with CSU. They said, they didn't say it's not us. They said, let's be as safe as we possibly can. How do we take this to the next level? How do we guys move the stairs in a big way? Um, and all of that really worked out and it would be the same for you um, because you can really mitigate the negative impacts and move the stairs and turn things into an opportunity. Um, and that's the whole case. So we hope you've had uh, a wonderful hour with us. We always enjoy spending it with you. If you any questions, um, feel free to email us. You can uh, go to the, the blog on the website and ask questions. You can post questions, I believe on YouTube, right? Is that right, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Questions on YouTube. We check all of that. We'll either get back to you this week or we'll talk about it next week. And we hope that you have a fabulous, thank God it's warm, weekend. Um, my snow is just melting now. <laughs> so have a wonderful, wonderful day.